This morning I want to talk about hope. Because I genuinely believe that the Christmas story is about hope. The truth is, when the odds are stacked against you, you can't continue down the same road that you've been walking your entire life. How many of you know we're actually pre-programmed to take the safe route that usually leads to comfort? (laughs) Our GPS is programmed to take us down the same road that we've always walked down our entire life. Because our parents went this way, we went this way. Because our grandparents went this way, we went this way. Because we were given a standard route, it's usually the one that we find ourselves on every single time. And this is often the reason that many of us find ourselves bored when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Because we're on the same road that we've been on for so long, and it's not offering any hope. So I've titled this message, The Alternate Route. What would it look like if you made a decision this morning that said, you know what, I'm not going to follow the same path that I've been walking on my entire life. I'm going to take an alternate route. So what does that mean? The alternate route could mean maybe today you're actually going to dive all the way in and you're going to meet Jesus. Maybe that means that you dive in and you say, you know what, I've been running for too long and I'm going to try a different route. I'm going to take a route that it's not safe, it's a little unfamiliar, it's unknown, I don't know what's on the other side of that, it seems a little scary. Maybe for some of you, the alternate route may be simply forgiving somebody that you've held a grudge towards for a long time. Maybe the alternate route may say, you know what, today is the day that I'm actually going to work on making my marriage better. Or today is the day that I'm going to go out and I'm going to live out the purpose and destiny that God's called me to live. So today I want to encourage you to take the alternate route. Because the truth is, that's where hope is. Genuine, real hope is found in uncertainty. Genuine real hope is getting off the standard route that you've been taking your entire life and you say, I'm going to take a different route. But here's the truth. The reason many of us don't take a different route is because it's not safe. <laughs> it's unknown. We don't, we don't know what lies on the other side of that. One of my favorite books of all time is a series, it's, it's a part of a series in Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there's this line that Lucy is having with the beaver, and the beaver is telling her about the lion. And in the book, it's a metaphor for Christianity that the lion, Aslan, is God. And so I love this line, and it says this. The beaver is setting this up for Lucy. He goes, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. So he's setting it all up. This, he's a scary, big lion. And watch this. Susan says, oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And I love the, what the beaver says. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about being safe? He goes, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. God has not promised us safety, but he has promised us goodness. And oftentimes, the reason that we stay stuck in the same old lane, in the same old place that we find ourselves, in the same old cycle, year after year, day after day, is because we're taking the same route that we take every single day, and to take the alternate route requires us sacrificing our safety. But when we do that, and we go and we take the alternate route, guess what's on the other side of that? Hope. Because here's the truth. You can't experience what hope really is until you experience hopelessness. (laughs) Until you've walked through despair. Until you walk through some hard times. Think about it. The entire Christmas story is about Jesus taking the alternate 
root. Think about it. He comes into the world, no crown, no Instagram followers, <laughs> nobody following him on Facebook, no riches, just a manger. Has anybody ever been to a petting zoo? You ever smell how bad those things are? Jesus took the route that no one thought he would take. Everybody had these expectations. Everybody thought they knew how he was going to come. Here's what's crazy. He was born in a town called Bethlehem. You would not even know that Bethlehem existed unless it was for the Christmas story. Here's what's crazy. I did some research. When Jesus was born, census tells us, historians believe that Bethlehem was about the size of 300 people. That is smaller than Mermintal. <laughs> that is small. You don't look at a city like that and go, a king is going to come from this, do you? Somebody is going to change the world that comes from Mermintal, <laughs> from Bethlehem. Not only does he come to Bethlehem, but he comes to a teenage mother who an angel has to physically come down to Joseph and say, listen, I know you think your wife slept with somebody, but the Holy Spirit impregnated her. Sure. <laughs> he comes in this way that nobody thought that he would come. Now, what's so hopeful about this birth is that he took the alternate route. He took a route that nobody expected him to come because they thought he would come as a king from a prominent family and he would literally sit on a throne and rule armies and, and do all these things. So I want to ask you a question this morning. Could it be that in order to discover true hope, you have to leave the safe path? Could it be that in order to really experience the Jesus that you've been looking for and searching for your entire life, you have to get off the safe road? You have to take the alternate path. Because here's what I've learned about hope. It's only when we are willing to give up on us that we seek the rescue that God offers. It's only when we finally come to the lowest and we go, okay, God, I've tried everything. I'll try you. <laughs> right? When you finally realize my marriage is not working out. When you finally realize I'm still waking up every single day depressed and anxious and stressed. And the same thing that you keep doing every day is not working. It's not bringing you hope. Here's what's crazy. 400 years before Jesus entered into the world, 400 years before Christmas ever even existed, God was silent. 400 years he was silent. Some of us don't hear from God for four hours and we're panicking. But imagine that for a moment. For 400 years, God's people have not heard from him. Now, here's the crazy part. In that silence, you have Zechariah, you have Isaiah, you have Malachi. They've all prophesied that one day a king will be born. He will end the silence, he will end the despair, and he will restore hope back to humanity. How many of you know the prophecies seem hopeful right when you get them, but when you're 400 years in and you still don't hear anything, how many know it's easy to lose hope? <laughs> Listen to the prophecy that Zechariah says. He says, shout and cheer, daughter Zion. Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming. A good king who makes all things right. A humble king riding a donkey. A mere colt of a donkey. And then this is what Jesus says. He says, I've had it with war. No more chariots in Ephraim. No more war horses in Jerusalem. No more swords and spears, bows and arrows. He will offer peace to the nations. A peace rule worldwide. 
from the four winds to the seven seas. How many, that sounds amazing, right? Especially when you find yourself in despair, you're like, a king is coming, and he's going to restore hope. And then here's what happens in real life. But God, it's been 400 years. How many of you know at year like 200, you've discredited the prophets by then? At year, at year one, <laughs> God's been silent. I haven't heard anything from him. What's going on? Now you start these men that were once revered and could be used by God, you start thinking, man, they're drinking something that is making them a little off. <laughs> they're prophesying stuff, but it's been 400 years. I don't know if they've got it right. I would imagine that some of you feel like that this morning. That you're asking, God, God how long? How long will you be silent? How long until I know what you're calling me to do? How long? Show of hands, how many have ever asked that question? How long, God? How long will this season persist? I read a verse this week. It absolutely, it's just one of those things, it just guts you. It's Galatians 4.4, 4, it's speaking specifically, it's the New Testament speaking back to the Old Testament. Galatians 4.4, 4, this is how long, if you're asking a question, how long, this is how long. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. What does that mean? When God has finished what he needs to do in you and through you, then he comes. Listen, because he is silent does not mean that he's not with you. He may be silent, you may not hear him, you may not feel him, you may not see him. It doesn't mean that he has vanished. I don't think the 400 years of silence, God was just sitting around going, hmm, kind of bored here. <laughs> God was working. God was moving. God was shaping some character in his people. Why? He says, because when the fullness of time had passed, he goes, all right, now they're ready. Send Jesus. Now they're ready. God knew. They, they, they weren't ready for him to come yet. Can I just be honest with you? Sometimes you have to walk through hell to get to hope. Sometimes you have to walk through hell to get to hope. Because here's the truth, you don't really know what hope is until you've walked through hell. <laughs> you can say you have hope when there's money in your bank account. <laughs> you, you can say you have hope when nothing is going crazy in your life. Can you say you have hope when you've got nothing? So you don't know what hope really is until you've experienced hopelessness. And here's the crazy thing, hopelessness, if you feel that right now, it is actually the doorway to hope. If you feel in a hopeless situation, here is the good news in God's silence. He is preparing you for a new season. He's preparing you for something that is far beyond what you could ever do, but he had to let you walk through that season to get all that stuff out of you that needed to come out of you. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. It's not just a desire. It goes, no, 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 God may not be safe, but he is good. God did not promise us safety, but he did promise to be good to us. And this scripture, this is what I want for you. This is what we've been praying for you all week is Psalms 42, 11. You may be saying to yourself these very words, why are you so downcast, my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Preach back to yourself because that's what the psalmist is doing. Hope in God for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You may feel in turmoil today, 
You may feel like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Preach back to yourself and say, no, you know what? Today, I'm going to find hope. Because here's what the gospel is. This is how Theodore Jennings put it. This is Jesus. He, Jesus, comes to liberate. He comes to liberate the blind from darkness, the lame from immobility, the sick from disease, the possessed from madness. He shatters the bonds of custom and class. He breaks open the iron strictures of legalism. He summons the dead to life. He transforms water into wine and death into life. He announces deliverance to the captives and sets at liberty those who are depressed. Listen, that's what Jesus wants for you today. That's the gospel. You say, Zach, I'm hopeless here. You're in a good company. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to do. Guess what? The gospel has an answer for you. So I want to give you four different ways of how we actually take the alternate route alternate route to hope. Number one, hope is usually not what you expected, but it is what you need. It usually doesn't look how you wanted it to look, does it? <laughs> you had this grand plan of how you wanted it to look, and God usually takes the alternate route to your plan. <laughs> Think about it. The Jewish people expected a king that would wield a sword. Instead, God said, here's a baby. <laughs> what do we do with this, God? A human that would remain silent for about 30 years, 33 years. We know nothing about his life other than maybe he built a few tables and some homes. He was a carpenter alongside his dad. We got three years where we know a whole lot about his life. But here's the truth. Jesus was not what they expected, but he was what they needed. Because here's the truth. He had to come in human form so that he could be tempted and tried so that he could suffer, so that he could feel pain, so that he could walk through doubt, so that he could ask every question that everybody in here asks, so that he can feel how you were tempted. Why? So that we could have a God that we could relate with. Nobody wants this posh God that came. He came as a king from a prominent family, and he sat on a throne. Like, doesn't, it doesn't relate with us, right? He says, no, no, Jesus, he walked among us. He was tempted just like you were. He suffered loss just like you have. He felt pain. We go, that, oh, that's a God I can relate with. He had to take the alternate route or we never would have related with him. Could it be that your circumstances are not what they expected, but they are what you need? See, true hope is found in hopelessness. I asked my dad if I could do this, but I want to show you a picture. This was about a month ago. Could you throw that picture up there real quick? This was my dad about three, four weeks ago. When you walk through seasons like this, can I tell you in that moment, you don't feel hope. <laughs> it doesn't feel like hope exists. In that moment, in that season, you have to make a decision I'm not walking the standard safe route. I know everybody's saying, every doctor that's walking in, he's not going to make it. So the only alternate route that you have is, I'm going to hope in a God who, he may not be safe, but he is good. And, and here's the crazy part. When you anchor yourself to hope, God always comes through. Dad, will you stand up this morning? Three weeks ago, this is my dad. Listen to me. Hope may not be what you wanted it to be, but God has a bigger purpose in your life, and he will bring you things through things that don't feel safe, 
They don't feel comfortable. They don't feel nice. They don't feel good, but he is doing something inside of you. And here's what I understand. When he's doing that, he has something so much better on the other end that he's just preparing you to be able to receive it. So that when you get to the other end, here's what you go. It was all God. It wasn't my goodness. It wasn't how smart I was. It wasn't any of that. It was all God. So could it be that Jesus is calling you to take the alternate route this morning? Not the safe route. Not the route that you've always walked on your entire life. If you're bored in Christianity, you're on the safe road. If you feel like Jesus has abandoned you and left you, you're on the safe road. Hope exists on the alternate route. Listen, this journey my family has been on is not what we expected, but God has been good. God has been good. Romans 15, 13. You have to fight to believe this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I, I said this in the first service. This verse is not for people who are just in good circumstances. This verse is for people that struggle with anything. You find yourself in the bleakest of circumstances. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. So I just want to encourage you, stop playing it safe. So, so some of you, here's what that means. Some of you, this morning, you got to step out the boat. You got that's water down there. I'm going to drown. God says, I know. <laughs> Come on. I know you're going to struggle a little bit. You're not going to know what to do, but I promise I will be with you. This leads me to point number two. Hope is a journey, not a destination. Hope is a journey, not a destination. But here's the truth. We live in a world that wants to harvest before we plow. And our challenge as people of faith is to synchronize our hope with God's schedule. But how many of you know God doesn't show you his schedule? Because <laughs> if God said, hey, listen, Zach, 2017, 2018 is going to be hard. But 2019, I'm going to come through with massive breakthrough. Here's what I would do for two years. I would numb myself as much as I could just to make it through those two years so I could get to 2019. But here's what God says. I want you to learn to trust me in the difficulty. That's why I don't show you the calendar. <laughs> I don't show you the plans because if I do, you don't have to hope in me. Here's what you can do. You can hope in yourself. You can find peace in what you do. Now, it would, be a ch it would be a challenge, or it is a challenge, should I say, when God doesn't show us the schedule, and we have to trust in him when he doesn't feel safe. We have to trust in him when it doesn't feel good, but we have to trust the fact that he is. So how do you patiently wait and hope for a God when he doesn't show you his calendar? Here's how you do it. Remember that you're a seed. Remember that you're a seed. Every time that you feel like you've lost something, remember you're a seed. You're a seed where the farmer digs a hole in the ground and he doesn't tell you about the process that's about to unfold. And he throws you down there and then he buries you. <laughs> and here's what you think. They've all forgotten me. They all left me. And there's this coat around the seed that actually goes through a death. A painful death. And here's what the seed begins to believe. 
They've left me. They've forgotten me. The farmer doesn't care about me. The seed has lost all hope. He's been down there, buried in the ground, and then one day, all of a sudden, something happens. Wait, what in the world is going on? And roots shoot out. Hold on, what's going on here? All of a sudden, the stump begins to grow and the flowers begin to bloom. See, the real work of the seed is done in the soil. I wonder how many of you have gone through hopelessness and despair, you're buried down there, and you uproot before you ever even had an opportunity to grow. Here's what the, here's what the scriptures teach us. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who takes some ski, seed, scatters it on the ground. Watch this, verse 27. Night and day, while he's asleep or while he's... So the farmer's not doing anything. The seed sprouts and grows, and even the farmer doesn't even understand how it happens. Now, let's be honest. It's easy when you're in the role of the farmer, right? You plant it, you harvest it. This is awesome. We get to have some fruit. It sucks when you're in the role of the seed. It's hard when you're in the role of the seed because here's the truth. You don't know the the intentions of the one that planted you, do you? (laughs) Are they coming back for me? Am I going to grow? What does this look like? Here's the truth. It takes the most faith to be buried in the soil of uncertainty and to keep growing. But hope comes through the journey, not avoiding the journey. You prolong the journey by avoiding the journey. So when you find yourself in a buried season, don't numb on Netflix. Don't scroll on Facebook. Because here's, here's, here's the truth. I'm not against any of those things. I do them. What I am saying, though, is when you find yourself buried, there is something that God is doing so great inside of you, and I know you can't see it right now. It takes the most faith to trust. When you're buried underground, I'm going to produce some roots, and God is going to grow me. This leads me to point number three. True hope is found in the waiting. Here's, here's a phrase I read this week, and I'll just read it. It says this, if you're waiting on something, remember that ultimately it's the Lord you're waiting on. Ouch. So if you're going, I'm waiting, how long is this going to take? How long does this season take? God says, when the fullness of time has passed, I'll come. When you say, how long? Remember, it's ultimately, you're not, listen, let me clarify this. You're not waiting on a spouse to get better. Well, if they would just change their habits, (laughs) then I would be a better person. If my boss wasn't, no, no, no. If you're waiting, you're waiting on the Lord. If you're waiting, you're waiting on the Lord. And you know what that does? It changes a whole new perspective. And you say, okay, it's God I'm waiting on, so I'll step back and I'll let God do what he needs to do. If you find yourself in a season of waiting, take comfort in the scriptures. This is Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord and those who wait on the Lord will renew their what? Strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 1997, there was a movie 
by the name of Gattaca, which nobody in here has probably seen. Some artsy movie, so if you're not artsy, you're like, I don't watch those kind of movies. It didn't come to Crowley Cinema, I promise you. I remember I saw it many years ago, and it was just one that just struck me, and it's about two brothers. And one brother is genetically modified. Genetically modified where they took out every imperfection. His body is chiseled perfectly. He thinks perfectly. He looks perfect. He is the perfect representation of a human being. He looks better than everybody at Cajun Fitness. <laughs> he, he is a perfect representation of what a human should look like. And so the movie is about Anton and Vincent. Vincent is the genetically modified one, and Anton and Vincent are always competing. Basketball, football, swim team, track team, board games. And the genetically modified brother always wins. Always wins. And then one day, Anton says, let's go for a swim. I'm going to beat you. And Vincent says, you've beat me in nothing your entire life. How are you going to beat me? And they begin to swim, and Vincent looks over, and Anton is way behind him. He says, I, I knew it. And they go for miles. And Vincent is starting to get tired. And Anton is just slowly going. And eventually, Anton beats his brother for the first time. And he says, how did you beat me, Anton? He said, I beat you because I saved nothing to go behind me. He said, I won because I saved nothing for the journey back. I won because he said, I'm swimming and I'm going to keep going until I win. He said, I didn't think about getting back. I just thought about going forward. So, so here's what this means. You have to anchor yourself to the hope that when you are buried, that when you are stuck, that God is saying, I'm not revisiting the past. Let's go on. <laughs> Let's keep going. When you're in a season of waiting, you give everything that you have to the Lord. Everything. Because here's what I know about waiting. You better figure out what God's trying to say to you. And you better figure out what he's trying to do or you're going to keep waiting. <laughs> Stop focusing on where you've come from and start focusing on where you're going. This leads me to point number four. Hope is a person, not a better season. Hope is a person, not a better season. His name is Jesus. Listen, the scriptures say this about you. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. God knows his plans for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a what? A hope. Listen, that applies to you personally. This is not for the person, just somebody sitting three rows behind you. This is for you. That God knows you and he has a hope for your future. Can I tell you something today? And this will liberate you if you can genuinely grasp this. What wounded you doesn't have to hold you forever. What wounded you doesn't have to hold you forever. Stop living your life out of a wound. It's affecting your entire life. Listen, Jesus was wounded, but his wounds did not define his destiny. He was betrayed, he was backstabbed. At the time of his death, one of his disciples was with him. 
One killed himself and the other ten were afraid for their life and they ran off. (laughs) One friend beside him and his mother. Here's the truth, the nails didn't have the final say, did they? Anybody remember the story about Thomas after Jesus resurrects from the dead? Thomas gets a bad rap because we call him Doubting Thomas. I am pretty sure if Jesus would have died and you have some other disciples say, listen, I know Jesus just died, but we just saw him. You're like, "Mm." (laughs) where have you been? And what have you been smoking, right? So all his disciples come up to Thomas and they're like, Thomas, listen, we just, we ran into Jesus. This is the, this is the story that unfolds. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. He was one of the 12 followers and was called the twin. The other followers told him, we have seen the Lord. He said to them, I will not believe until I see the marks made by the nails in his hands. I will not believe until I put my finger into the marks of the nails. I will not believe until I put my hand into his side. Eight days later, the followers were with them again inside a house. Listen, I just love the little detail. The doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them. You imagine, like, just drinking coffee. Ah! It's Jesus. He walked through the wall. And this is, this is what he does. Watch this. He immediately addresses Thomas's doubt. Thomas, put your finger into my hands. Put your hand into my side. Do not doubt, believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him. Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Those who have seen me, have never seen me yet and still believe. Listen to me. I love the depiction that the scripture gives in this point. Jesus did not say, Thomas, put your fingers in my wounds. He said, put your fingers in my scars. Jesus' scars were the proof of his power. What wounded you does not have to hold you forever. Jesus says, listen, yeah, I was wounded, Thomas. I was forsaken. I was betrayed. I was backstabbed but it's not going to define who I am today. Why? Because your scars are proof of Jesus' power. You're still here. You're still breathing. Some of you you literally physical scars. Some of you mental and emotional scars. Show of hands, how many of you in this room have been wounded? All of us, all of us have been wounded. We've all been hurt. We've all lost hope. But could it be possible that Jesus wants to turn your wounds into some scars? Say, yeah, those are battle wounds. That's what I walk through. But it's no longer who I am anymore. Jesus is your hope. Money is not your hope. Jesus is your hope. A better marriage is not your hope. It would be nice. Jesus is your hope. Here's what's crazy. I don't think we often think about this. As I bring this to a close, I want you to think about this. When Jesus died, the day that he died, there were no believers. Think about it. 
When Jesus died, there were no believers because everything that Jesus had said was too much, and now he's dead. Remember, he claimed to be God. God is dead. How is God dead? If Jesus was dead, he clearly was not who he said he was. Because I don't know about you, usually, well, not usually, every dead person I have seen has stayed dead. (laughs) So, think about it just for a moment. Jesus is dead. Everybody's looking at him and going, wow, that was a nice three-year run. Gave a lot of hope. But I don't know about all this anymore. There was no dream to keep alive. There was no movement to keep moving. It was over. Why? Because everybody expected Jesus to stay dead. And what everyone intended to actually be the end was just the beginning. See, Jesus took the alternate route. He said, oh, you think I'm dead. Three days later, he is who he said he was. So look at me. You may be looking at some circumstances in your life and you say, it's dead, Zach. Is it? Or does it just need to be resurrected? Because Jesus is who he said he was. He is who he said he is. And Christmas is the deliverance of hope into a world that is so broken. In every seat, you'll find one of these little communion cups. If you want to pull it out just for a moment. You can rip open the top. It leads you to a little wafer. All this is, is just a symbol of Jesus' body. And and now, let let me clarify something here. For every person in this room that doesn't know how this works and immediately when I bring up communion, you feel shame. You feel shame, well, I can't partake of this, right? I've been divorced, I can't do this. Oh, I've gone through hurt, I can't do this. I'm not clean right now. Listen, if you had to be at this place, nobody would take this. I'd actually say that the most beautiful time that you can take this is when you are so broken And you remind yourself that Jesus was broken for you. Who said you can't take this? When I read the scriptures and I I think about John 3, 16, that when Jesus came, he came for what? Everyone. That everyone who chooses to believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, not for the one that is perfect. Not for the one that has it all together but for everybody in every journey and every walk of life. So just as a symbol of us remembering what Jesus has done to us, just break the wafer. And it's a symbol that God was broken for you so that you could have a pathway back to him. Would you partake of it with me? You can peel back the little paper to open to get to the juice. And all this is is a simple symbol that Jesus' blood was spilled for you and for me. Let's partake of this. If you want to just grab that, crunch it up, throw it in your pocket real quick, that'd be awesome, that'd help us.
So let me conclude with this. What wounded you doesn't have to hold you. Hopelessness is the doorway to hope. Hope may not look like what you expect it to be, but it is what you need. Don't allow your circumstances to derail your relationship with Jesus. Because hope is not a better season. Hope is a person. It's a person that came for you to rescue you, to save you. And your darkest of circumstances. And I just want to encourage you, if you don't have a church home, if you're not connected to people, they're going to help you do this journey. We would love to welcome you into this family. We're by far, we're not perfect, but we're going to do our best to usher you into having a real, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus.